Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hardwood Nations podcast with your boy C.L. Anthony, my main man, Bryce Ward, and our special guest today, Michael Franz. What's up, brother? What's going on, my man? Nothing much. Good to have you on, finally. Well, thank you for yeah, having me. Really I appreciate you guys for giving me the chance. Thank you. I didn't think you were going to wake up this early, but hey. <laughs> hey, sports doesn't sleep. It's always running. So, <laughs> you know, if, if sports doesn't sleep, I don't sleep. <laughs> nice. What you got, Bryce? What's going on? Not much. Uh, same old. Um, fun holiday week. Got to see a lot of family, as I'm sure uh, a lot of people have, and uh, I'm just relaxing. Uh, so everything's good, man. All right. So we're we're gonna start this off because I know me and Michael and actually Kevin have gone back and forth for years for his love of LeBron James. So we're gonna. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. We're gonna get this thing started real quick. So what Mike, a way LeBron, to start too. Right, right, right. LeBron got suspended for the first time in his career earlier this week. Tell me your thoughts on the entire situation that led to the punch in the eye, the aftermath, and the suspensions. Just just break it down for us real quick. What was your thoughts on that? What was your thoughts? All right. So I mean it it, it was kind of a bang bang play, right? Like it was at a free throw. It was from a free throw. Second shot. You know, they're they're battling. Things happen. Although I have seen, I will I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna let my LeBron bias go crazy on this. I, I am a realist. Um there have been quite a bit of dirty plays throughout his career that he's had that I've seen. Um I think some of them blown out of proportion more than others. Um but either way, um, you know, it's like I, I can see where the momentum comes from. Does the suspension is the suspension warranted? Yeah, I, I could say so. Um, I would say that for today's NBA, they handled it fine. Um, I think that the ejection was fine. I think that, that um, what's what do they call them now? Uh, beef stew. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I think uh, I think I think he went way overboard. I think his emotions got the best of him. But I think the situation was handled fine. Um, I think today's NBA is soft enough to where the suspension is warranted. Now, I grew up watching the Bad Boy Pistons um, and that whole era and through the Jordan rules and everything like that. So is it soft to me? Absolutely. But I understand today's NBA. So uh, suspension was warranted. Ejection was warranted. Um, but I just think it was... I don't know. I think it was blown out of proportion as a whole big situation. Anyway, I think Isaiah Stewart just went crazy. I think he just had like something in his mind just pop, you know, like like a pit bull when they when they go crazy. You know what I mean? I think it was kind of something like that. But I think it's right. good because it brings right. that atmosphere back to Detroit a little bit in this in this NBA. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Bryce, what do you think about the Bryce, suspension? What do you think about the suspension? Um, um, no, I think definitely wanted. Definitely. The uh, like the uh, uh, the like the tone of the NBA, the NBA fits what you're seeing. Uh, it's it's not as hardcore as we used to be. I think LeBron James when you see a kid for a second and then he sees the reaction. I don't think he meant to like cause that kind of physical harm. And when he turned around and kind of saw, it's like. 
Man, my bad. But like, this is done. He let it get away from him. And yeah, they decided to do it. They handled it correctly. I think LeBron handled it correctly after. Um, and uh, I, I heard like, I heard like, well, after he looked up at like, the video and saw that his face was that And that's, uh, they said that when he lost it. Which I guess is kind of understandable. Um, yeah, uh, I, uh, it made me think of this old Piston team and like going on. Even um, after the race, Detroit kind of kept that reputation. So, kind of ironic that it happened. Um, I, I agree with everything. I agree with everything. I'm in the minority because I didn't think that LeBron should have been suspended. LeBron should have been suspended. I didn't think it was a dirty play. I didn't think it was a dirty play. By, by there's, there's not many times we're on different sides of the table. Like <laughs> this. Usually I'm the one that's supporting LeBron. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, okay, so right, right, right after he hit the kid, I mean, he did go over and I mean, try to apologize to the kid. To to the kid. And then actually, even actually then after, actually, the game, after the game, he tried to contact the kid he tried to apologize again. So I didn't think that LeBron did anything dirty. I don't think he's a dirty player. We, I think he's a pussy, but I don't think he's a dirty player. Yeah, we have. I don't. Think we haven't dirty, but he's. I've seen. I've seen montages of handfuls of dirty players when players step like Anthony Davis stepped up and said he's not a dirty player. Well, I've seen some some questionable plays. I, I think some of it adds up to uh, LeBron takes a lot of contact on every single play from everybody because of his size. He can get bumped. I think everybody thinks they can bump him. That kind of thing. And I'm not making excuses, but if you're him, you probably I'm sorry, probably get tired of that quicker than most because it's all the time. So you're probably a little quicker to be like, well, now I'm going to retaliate because it happens to me on every play. So I kind of get it, but then you, can't, you just can't do that to a guy. like and so. it, it, It's some of that, and Shaq was plagued with that too. So, really quick, one narrative after the fact that really pissed me off was people calling this the Malice in the Palace 2.0. I thought that was completely out of line. Uh, Bryce, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about that? Uh, absolutely not. That was uh, – this was all just on the court. And for the most part, like, it, you know, it didn't – it didn't blow over to like a team or other people. To me, it was just we don't see this as much anymore. But on comparison, it's it's not nearly what that was. I mean, not even in my opinion. Um, this really wouldn't even bad if like somehow it hadn't been so bloody. I, I think it wouldn't have been nearly as bad visually, and it would have been right um, personally. But in comparison, no, I don't. I don't think that's true at all. Got it. Michael, what do you think about it? Michael, what do you think about it? It's nowhere near the malice of the palace. <laughs> nowhere near. For one, you didn't have you didn't have fans involved the way that the malice of the palace happened. Um, and then not just that, but the impact. This is not going to change the game forever. It may have been LeBron's first suspension of his whole career, but... Right. That's about the only change. It's not going to change the landscape of how the NBA is looked. And the Malice of the Palace completely changed the NBA. In fact, that's when it started getting what what we would refer to today as being like a soft NBA. That's what led to it. This is not going to change anything. Right. 
I, I remember them changing even the dress code rules after that because the league was quote unquote thuggish in the eyes of the uh, corporate sponsors and things of that nature. All right. Yeah, that's why everything's blown up to a point of like contention now. It's because it's all scaled down in today's NBA audience, especially the younger kids. Less like they don't remember that time. They they don't take it into account. So everything now is like this big thing and. The older fans are like, no, it's not even close. You, right, you have right. nothing you have Right. So mo- moving right along, we, we, we had an exchange on ESPN that got a lot of talk in the Twitterverse uh, where Stephen A. Smith and J.J. Reddick had a debate about whether or not Michael Jordan was feared more than LeBron James. Some a lot of people were taking JJ Reddick's side. Um, I think the bronze sexuals out there were on JJ Reddick's side, and some people were saying that JJ Reddick made Stephen A. Smith look foolish. I would, I actually agree with Stephen A. Smith's take on it, and I know Michael wanted to speak on it, which is why I invited him on this week. Actually, how did you feel about that debate, Mike? Um, I mean, I I used to like Stephen A. Smith um, a lot, and then I don't know something just switched for me where I, I kind of I, I don't I don't feel like I don't feel that what he does now has enough passion behind it. Now I'm saying that the actions he shows with his passion, his loud demeanor, his animated demeanor when he's on TV, or even when you can hear him, you can you can hear the emotion. But it's not to me. It's not as 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 authentic as it used to be, right? So, I think that when it comes down to how successful that maybe first take has been, or where he's at ranking as far as NBA writers, where ESPN puts him at, right? They put him on this pedestal, right? And I think that some things that he says just create, you know, the uh, the atmosphere to 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 want to listen, like. I, like he he turned into kind of what Skip Bayless used to be for me, right? Until those two split up, and I think that there's just things that he just he 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 tries to point out that just are for topics of interest, right? It gains that listening, and this is the LeBron Jordan topic is going to be something that's going to go on forever. Um, some people may disagree that it should even be a conversation, but when you see the impact and you. I think that I think that Stephen A needs to listen to some of what some of these NBA players that actually played against. Like I think JJ Redick made a great point. I played against LeBron for this long. When when did you play against LeBron? Right. So I, I I'm kind of in the middle. I think that when you're talking about different eras and you know the, the topic is just it's a genuine con- topic anyway. Like I kind of get lost in it because. There's so much that can be said. And I find myself looking at LeBron today and kind of like, okay, let me be, again, the realist. There's some things that I'm seeing in today's NBA, like this year, that I'm like, I, you know, this, this is hurting your legacy right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a fear for both of these players, respectfully in their own eras. But I think that there's whole, two whole NBA, two whole different NBAs, right? Um, I think they're just respected in their own demeanor. I think that as far as what LeBron did, I think that J.J. Redick, or I I saw somebody that uh, wrote this out. I don't know if it was J.J. Redick, but 
Everybody moved away from the East when LeBron was there. Now he's in the West, and everybody's moving to the East. The East is getting stronger. So it's like there's a there's a whole shift in 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 power almost, and that never happened with with Jordan. It was kind of like the same NBA for a while. But you also didn't have. I think there's a topic that doesn't necessarily get recognized enough, and it's where the talent wise. There's a lot of talent in the eighties and nineties. But there's far more talent in the NBA now that we see. I think that that could be an arguable conversation. That could be a whole different topic at some point. But as far as the Stephen A. J.J. Redick thing, I think J.J. made some valid points. And I think Stephen A. needs to start considering some of these things a little bit. Got it. If any of that makes sense. (laughs) Great great take. Bryce, how did you feel about it? Bryce, how did you feel about it? So I, I think it's like a, a scaled generational thing. So like um, what, what one thing we, we say sometimes now about Stephen A is, um, you, you know, he used to have contact with the players. He used to be really involved, and now that's not really the case. It, you know, he's just a commentator, and he doesn't really have, you know, the inside information with the players like he used to. So, you know, um He's playing a character uh, at this point. You know, he has he knows how to talk. He knows what to say. Um, I don't necessarily agree with like a hard stance on this one because you know the game was different during Michael's time, and I, you know the, the way Michael comes off as a person, they can kind of be intimidating, intimidating and aggressive in any situation with him. Not even on the court where it's probably intensified by a thousand. So, so I could get where, you know, there used to be, like, this more, like, I guess a fear for Michael because of how he would present himself on the court. But to to, um, to J.J. Reddick's point, like, yeah, he played against him. You know, there's certain players that probably physically aren't worried about what LeBron can do, even though he's a freak of nature. But, like, when J.J. said he took a charge from him once, you know, that didn't go without its consequences. You know, it's different for everybody. Um, you may not fear LeBron the way he stepped on the court and brought a presence the way MJ did, but to say uh, no player fears him or, like fears his presence on the court at all is just not true either. So I, I think it's like a more nuanced conversation, and I think there's a generational gap there as well, like with the last topic. So I think with what MJ brought, I think compared with what LeBron brought, is like the league is just different. The tone different these guys are more buddy buddy now more than ever you you know that's why lebron's been able to recruit people uh some of the best players wherever he's wins because he you know these uh relationships these guys have starting all the way back from aau it's like they're, they're taught to be friends and teammates which is fine but in general the league is softer in ways because of it and the competition is the same way um but in michael's point it's uh we have seen players migrate to the uh, opposite division because of LeBron's dominance. Um, and he's still showing that it, if not the top player, uh, that his influence on a team makes them a top team. So he's still having an, an impact, a, a huge influence, obviously. So I think both kind of have points, but the way um, Stephen A. comes off, like dismissively, and how J.J. comes off so intelligent and so intricate in his detail of knowing the game from playing it and from watching it his whole life. It's kind of refreshing 
So I, I think a lot of it was just finally we're getting a different take, a very insightful take, and an argument that clearly makes a lot of sense. So I'm not like discrediting Stephen A by any account, but he definitely is more of like the TV character type uh, broadcaster at this point compared to where JJ is coming into it from a completely like, let me just be honest about this take. So I, I enjoyed both takes, but I, I definitely agreed with JJ too. And uh, I, I think some of it's just not talked about as the presence that LeBron has. It's just not, it's not with the same intensity that Jordan has which is matching for our league. So I, I think it all makes sense. I, I, I agree with that, Bryce, 100%. Can I say one more thing real quick, Sio? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Um, I, I think that if, if, if you're talking about the, the fear factor, let's, let's ask the LeBronto Raptors, right? When you're talking about teams that consistently were facing each other, LeBron owns the LeBronto Raptors. In fact, that's why <laughs> at one point somebody somebody changed their Wikipedia to the LeBronto Raptors. Um, but look at the Knicks. The Knicks wanted to fight, and then John Starks was crazy. Charles Oakley was crazy. Like those guys had a lot of heart, but they didn't fear Mike to the point to where it changed their land. They wanted like I think that that type of of demeanor when when you're talking about okay well the Knicks wanted to go against the the Bulls they wanted to fight every year against the Bulls the Toronto Raptors <laughs> yo they didn't really want any piece of LeBron <laughs> so I, I think when you're talking about like for me the, the fear factor I think when when you can do that to, to teams that's pretty big as well so I mean I, that's just coming from a fan perspective when I'm sitting here from the outside looking in. But I think that that's also something that can show the impact of who's here. I think I'm, I'm going to put a cap on it. I think that there was nuance lost on J.J. Reddick's side to the point that Stephen A. Smith was trying to make. I think it was more of a social point that Stephen A. Smith was trying to make versus a game planning point, which is what J.J. was speaking of. So what I mean is, is that – We've seen players, We've seen players recently as Enos Cantor going at LeBron James. We've seen tons of players in his career say things about him, hint that he saw. We never saw that with Michael because he was probably going to drop a 50-piece on you if you did so. I think that's what Stephen A. Smith was talking about as far as the fear factor is that these players are almost disrespectful to LeBron James now where no one was really doing that to Michael. To Michael's point, the Knicks were the only team that kind of stood up to him physically outside of the Pistons. Once Michael hit his prime, the Knicks were his biggest rival. But here's the thing about that. They were in the East. They didn't, quote, unquote, run away, which still made Michael's path to the finals harder than LeBron has ever dealt with because these guys have moved conferences due to LeBron. In the old days, no one moved as much. So Michael still had a harder path to get to the finals. But I think that nuance, that social nuance that Stephen A. Smith is talking about is what J.J. missed. So for all the people who say that uh, Stephen A. Smith doesn't understand it from a player's perspective, J.J. may not understand it from a social perspective. And that's how that's how I look at it. So. 
Well, um, real quick before we move on, um, there's so much social media and ways to speak out now. The, the NBA got to control the narrative. I mean, look at who did speak out against MJ, um, Isaiah Thomas, and look at look at the repercussions of that. So I, I, I think, um, if anything, the league didn't help in speaking out against MJ because it wasn't in the interest of their bottom line. Now the NBA doesn't have control over these players all the time because of social media, and thus now we're getting the NBA cancers and other people speaking out where before the NBA could control that. So I, I think that's also an important but yeah, I agree. I, I I give you that. But I mean, it wouldn't stop Michael from dropping a fifty piece on himself. So <laughs> that one goes because we know he would have took that personal <laughs> for sure. As we know, he takes everything. Yeah, he takes everything personal. <laughs> All right, moving right along. This next topic is going to be really quick because I want to open the floor for Michael on another specific topic. I want to give a personal apology to Damian Lillard as Bryce mentioned to me earlier this week because we kind of trashed him last week and he actually had a good week. <laughs> Dame, I'm sorry. We still love you here at the Hardwood Nation. <laughs> we should have waited one more week for that topic. <laughs> Michael, how you feel about Dame? <laughs> I, hey, you know, there, there's Dame time is one of a kind. There's, there's things that I do really, really enjoy about this year so far. One of them, and I, I hate to say it, but one of them is the Warriors. I, I, I'm enjoying watching what these guys are doing. It's crazy. But I always love to see, like, you know that the Blazers are not going to be, like, top two, but that fight that they have, and you just enjoy watching Dane's fight every single night, that I think that it's an enjoyable thing for the NBA, period. Um, I do see the Blazers rising. I see them working better together. And it's a long season, and I know we're going to get into the long season topic portion here in a second. But um, as far as the Blazers, like I, they're they're one of those teams that you just you just never know. They're the exciting X factor that could change the landscape of the playoffs. Whether they're going to either be out, be in, or as high as they're going to go, it all rests on Dame's shoulders. And I think that you know that. Uh, this is this, we're, we're getting into the, the Blazers portion a little early in the season, which could be exciting to see what happens throughout the rest of the season. Usually we see the excitement towards the end of the season. This is fairly early. It's not even Christmas yet. Dave's already out here doing what he's doing. So I think this is pretty good for the for for the season so far. Yeah, they got off to a slow yeah, start, but now start. they've worked them well, worked yeah, themselves yeah. into the top yeah. six in the Western Conference. So, as Bryce said, I think as I was a Bryce bit said, premature on shutting the door on them completely. So I'm sorry, Dane. <laughs> you guys, yeah, I don't think you should ever Bryce? count Dane out. <laughs> you got anything, Bryce? Um, I mean, I, I'm if there's something I'm gonna be wrong about, I'm. Glad it's that because I I really have been a Dame fan since um, he came into the league. I he, like Dame shirt and had it uh, with the zero on it, like a custom shirt, just because he didn't have his own yet. So I, I've always been a fan of his, um, and and I like that like a, a batter in a slump. You, you've seen him kind of slowly work himself out of the offensive issues he was having really early, and um, yeah, I mean the, the season is still early. Uh, I think they're like they're at ten and ten or something. They're at five hundred ball. But I was looking at the Blazers' record today, and they had two wins that stood out to me: one against Phoenix and one against 
in Chicago. And they'll have those wins. And, you know, they've got that team chemistry by this point to kind of carry them, plus fame and all like we know. Um, but I think we know their ceiling. And um, Dame, Dame Tom can do everything he needs to. And they might, you know, surprise someone in the playoffs. Like, we've seen them do that. But are they championship caliber? That I don't think. And um, I don't know how much longer Dame can keep up Dame time for an end result that I think everybody kind of knows where it's going. So I, I hope the best they're in the West. They don't affect my team. I've always liked them. I just don't see them really far. And at this point, what we're getting a decade for the it's like how much longer can they go through that as a team just in the middle of the pack? Um, right, I know they right. love the player, and they love the team, and he can do everything in his power. We know how far that takes. And there's some really good teams. I, I'd like to see them do better because I like the team and players, and, but uh, I think we know what we're getting at this point. So uh, I'm glad to watch Dave the slump that's like testament to a true player true guy who finds the game and uh he's gonna be fine he'll probably be MVP candidate this of the season it's like michael says not even christmas we're not even gonna remember this part so um it's impressive and i'm glad he pulled himself out of that slump cool so I'm going to call an audible on the podcast since we have a special guest today. Michael, me and Bryce have picked the Los Angeles Lakers to win the championship. Um, and we have valid reasons to do so. So far, the Lakers are sitting at 10 and 11. And I know LeBron James missed eight games early. But I need to know what the fuck is going on with the Lakers. So we're going to have a little round table. Um, yeah, this this. This is going to get interesting because I, I know you're feeling for Russell Westbrook. Now, <laughs> I saw now I saw the post. Everybody everybody wants to blame Russell, right? But right. You look at Anthony Davis's numbers, right? I still blame Russell Westbrook. Oh my goodness gracious! And but but the reason is the, the reason is this. I I like Russell Westbrook. I think that he's an exciting player. I don't think that he's this is going to sound weird but I'll break it down. I don't think he's as good of a team player as what his stats show. That's why like I'm not I, I think the triple double stat is a great stat. I think it's exciting. But for me, cool stat, buddy. That's really what it is for me because when when you're talking about when he gets his 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 assists, when he gets you know, he, he, he'll shoot 50 shots and get 10 assists. And I always bring it back to this point. When we see games like when he had 20, 20, and 20, the Nipsey Hustle game, right? Oklahoma City had nobody really on that team. They had uh, – was uh, was Paul George on that team? I think Paul George and Carmelo – well, Paul George and No, Carmelo I think he was gone. Yeah. Oh, okay, they were gone. Well, so either way, we saw the impact – when he shared the ball like he should. I think that him being a score-first point guard is dangerous for the Lakers, especially because you have two players that have to have the ball in their hand with LeBron and Russell Westbrook. 
I personally feel that that eight-game span that LeBron was out, I think that he could have came back within a few games earlier than what the eight games was, but they need to find their chemistry with Russell on the, on the court. I've had this conversation with a buddy of mine, and there's just something you can't do. You can't not start Russell Westbrook, right? right. But I personally feel that the, the, the team that he needs to be a part of includes like a Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard on the court. Come out on the second team. Because LeBron needs to have somebody like Rondo on the court. When you have Russell Westbrook and LeBron on the court, that's when shit gets wild. And it's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do here? Because this looks like a clusterfuck, if you pardon my French. But oh, no, we cuss here. It, no, looks, we it looks bad. Like It's just like this is not what I wanted, and it's turning out to be – something that I'm not liking. I'm scared for the Lakers. I have the Lakers winning the whole thing as well, but I'm not as confident as I was until I see that flip in Russell Westbrook because he needs to know when to take bad shots, which in this case, bro, you're 31% three-point shooter. You need to start making these when you're wide open. They leave him wide open when he's going to shoot. Why? Because he's he's more than likely going to miss. <laughs> you know, like, that's... When we're talking about fear, he's not feared as a shooter at all. Right. And when you're spreading the court the way that LeBron controls the court, you have to make those shots. Game one, Reggie Miller made this point. He said, Russ, you're going to have to make those shots. In OKC, you probably could have got away with it because you're going to end up getting 50 of them in the game anyway. Now, the thing is, is that why I say the, the triple-double stat is stat only because you don't get wins and it's almost like the points are more like the stat padding is more important than the w you had players like victor oladipo on your team that you didn't even really utilize at all and next year he leaves the okc the next year he's an mvp candidate you also had a time where you had carmelo and paul george on your team right you had stephen adams on your team you had people around you and you didn't do anything. Are you exciting as a player? Absolutely. But are you that player that's going to get us over the hump and get us to a championship? Nope, not at all. And that's why I think like he needs to understand his role on the court with the Lakers. It's not what was over in OKC. It's not what was over in Washington. And by the way, look at how well Washington is playing right now without Russell Westbrook. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that there's a there's a trend setting here at this point, and I, I I don't know if it's me just feeling like, okay, the Russell Westbrook that I've been talking about is 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 being shown now. You you're hurting teams with this. Be your point guard. Know your role. Oh, oh shit. Rice, you ready to jump in on that? Yeah. Um I I actually have a similar take. Um, but I'll go ahead and start with what I've been saying all year. Uh, I, I think Anthony Davis is the one that has to have the MVP type of season. Um, adding the Russell Westbrook to the team is, 
the tough fit, obviously. Um, my, my thing is, at this point, I, I see uh, Westbrook's career and like what he's been asked to do, or at least in his eyes, probably what he thinks he's had to do. Um, and to me, the move to Lakers was going to be Bron sitting down with him and being like, look, um, we know you have this athletic, you have to strive, all those things that we need. Uh, my my minute needs to change, and I need to be saved for the playoffs. So all the weight needs to go on you, Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. But the problem is he has to, like, relent to Davis in the playoffs. That if they run up the court, Westbrook shouldn't be running an offense for too long without Davis getting the ball. That, in my opinion, Davis is the guy. And if that comes down to LeBron sitting down with both of them and being like, I'm going to take a step back, like we talked about needing to do, and facilitating and keeping Westbrook in check. Because I don't think Westbrook's ever played with a team with talent to where another player or another coach in charge is going to say, hey, you have to take a step back because you don't have to be this guy who does everything for us because it's actually hindering us. You need to just be the You have enough talent. You don't have to do everything. I think some of that is what Westbrook's mindset is. Like, outside of the earlier team ran hard and where they were just young and learning, I think Westbrook's always kind of like, he has to do these things. And because of his uh, mentality, we don't know how many times he's really been checked by someone that he might think should check him. Even if you don't like LeBron James, I think a lot of players, especially if you play with him, are going to respect his opinion and his take on the team, especially when he's playing GM and you're there because he brought you there. Um, so I just feel like there's a conversation that needs to be had, and I think the more we get of LeBron support with them as the season goes on, in my eyes, for this to work as well as it could, we're going to see Westbrook for the first time really slowly take a step back in what he feels like he has to do. On so maybe the turnover, um, uh, you know, ticked down a little. Maybe his actual time off the ball in his hands ticks down a little bit. Um, because otherwise, it's going to be the same old song and dance with Westbrook, and that's not going to, in my eyes, lead to a championship with Lakers. And if it does, it's going to be a mess. Um, I can't get away from Anthony Davis and kind of put in the kind of performance he did the other night, where he's making blocks on the three, following up on the same drop. We need that all the time from Davis, and we don't get that. But the Westbrook aspect is just a wild card that isn't always great. And I, I think teams can win with Westbrook, but I think someone's going to really have to reel him in for the first time ever. And I think the only guy who can do that is LeBron. Um, you know, Kevin Durant doesn't have that kind of energy. He was never able to do that. He just He's like, well, I'm out of here. I'm not going to try to make this work. Westbrook needs, like, as they say, like a firm hand. And um, I, I think he can do what people want him to do. But until he's really told a place, which he may not accept, I don't know. Um, I think that's the only way the Lakers look like as good as they could be. Uh, but otherwise, I think they're going to 
Latino attack team kind of and make a splash in the playoffs if LeBron, if everybody stays healthy. They're still going to be good, but not nearly as good as they could be. And championship might be out of the question if they can't make it work with Westbrook. But I think he's had to have this biggest step back. Okay. Let, 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 me, let, let me unpack this. Because <laughs> both of you guys dropped some good points. Um, well, neither there was, neither one, was there's one other point I wanted, that I wanted to make that may change a little bit of the landscape of what I said as well. Go ahead. Um, sorry, I, did, I didn't, and I didn't mean to cut you off, CL. But I think that I, I, what I didn't mention was the, uh, the biggest problem with the Lakers and it's not Russell Westbrook. I think the chemistry portion needs to be adjusted. Like the chemistry topic is where Russell Westbrook comes into play. But I think the bigger problem is Frank Vogel. <laughs> I think I think his his coaching style and his rotations, his rotations are horrible. And I think that's affecting things as well. So I didn't want to leave that point out and put all the blame on Russell Westbrook. I think the bigger problem is Frank Vogel, but the chemistry, I think, situation does rely more on the Russell Westbrook side. So. I think I think Vogel, if, if they if they play at the current pattern that they're on right now, Vogel's going to be out of there um, by the All-Star break. Um, so, is Russell the blame? Is LeBron the blame? Is Anthony Davis the blame? Defensively, as and to use a word Michael used, use they're a clusterfuck. They're a clusterfuck. And I'm going to use their last game as an example. I'm use their last game as an example. <clears throat> Bryce and Michael, if Bryce, I was to tell you, Michael, if I was to tell you that LeBron James dropped, LeBron 30, James dropped 30, 11 assists, 11 assists 7, rebounds, 7 rebounds, Anthony Davis dropped, Anthony Davis dropped 23, 23, 4 blocks, four 8 blocks, rebounds, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and Russell Westbrook dropped 29 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. Would you believe that the Lakers lost that game? I wouldn't. What about you? I wouldn't believe it. I, if, if I didn't watch the game, I didn't know it. I, I just saw the stat line. The Lakers had to have won that. What, what about you, Bryce? Yeah, same. I mean, my guess would be that they lost. So far this season, between the three of them, it's the best box score that the three of them have ever dropped, and they still lost the game because they're a clusterfuck on the defensive end. Frank Vogel is supposed to be a defensive coach. We're not seeing that effort on the court right now. Anthony Davis has the potential to be the most dynamic defensive player in the NBA. And since he's been in L.A., his defense has consistently gotten worse year after year after year. We don't expect LeBron at 37 years old to be a great defender night after night. Russ can play defense. We know this. Dwight Howard can play defense. DeAndre Jordan can be a body in the way. So we're not seeing so any not effort seeing defensively, which I think is the biggest problem with the Lakers. As far as turnovers. Westbrook's not even leading the league in turnovers right now. It's James Harden. But if I look at this last game, I see LeBron James had seven turnovers and Westbrook only had three. So I don't want to hear about turnovers. Ball handlers turn over the ball, period. LeBron's turnovers is high. Harden's turnovers is high. Westbrook's turnovers is going to be high. Three-point percentage in this last game. Anthony Davis, 
Anthony Davis. Excuse me. Oh four five, I believe. Russell Westbrook, two for four. LeBron James, two for thirteen. Why is LeBron James shooting thirteen threes? That's where the coach has to come in and be like, "Look, bro, <laughs> this this ain't this ain't it." So there's fundamental problems with the Lakers. Defensively, knowing who needs to shoot threes and who doesn't need to shoot threes. And as Michael said, rotations. I still believe this team is going to figure it out. Anthony Davis needs to be the first option. Russell Westbrook needs to be the second option. LeBron James needs to be the third option. Until LeBron decides to do that, it's not going to happen. Mike, I throw it to you. Mike, I throw it to you. I think that's a that's a that's a great point. Um, but I also say that's only one game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we joke about, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, there was a there was a, a, a Twitter uh, post that was made, and it was you had posted it, and Cortez responded to it. Uh, shout out to Cortez as well, but. Um, uh, he said, okay, it was talking about uh, triple-doubles. And he was like, okay, now which number was the, the turnovers? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> for Russell, for, yeah, so for the, the commonality is Russell Westbrook. The joke, the running joke that people have is that he averages a quadruple-double because turnovers. <laughs> so when we're talking about, okay, he only had three and LeBron had seven. Okay, that's... We're talking about a sample size of, of, of a minuscule sample size of one game compared to what the consensus can actually see. And I think that, yes, it, it, it I think that you're 100% right. When they can understand who's first, second, and third option is going to be a very important piece to where they, they can understand those roles that I was talking about on the, the, the first portion of this. Um. Yeah, Frank. Frank, you need to do something, my man. You need to start to step it up. But we do know that LeBron is the GM as well, right? So <laughs> when he's on the court, you know, it's almost like, well, how much does Frank Vogel really mean when LeBron's on the court? So they get Russell Westbrook going. He had a really, really good game individually. A game that yes, you would normally say, holy shit, he they, they should have won that just off of that effort he didn't have a bad shooting night he didn't have bad you know a lot of turnovers he shot well from the three he did what he needed to do but the problem is in that game that game was LeBron and that's going to happen until they get this chemistry thing going but get Russell going now work on Anthony Davis then let LeBron come in and because we know LeBron can carry a team on his shoulders the whole season so you worry – he's kind of – I think he's kind of worried about getting everybody on their page, and then he's going to get on to his. So it's going to be a season-long thing. It's going to be a roller coaster. And we're probably not going to see the Lakers that we really expected until probably late February, early March. Got it. Bryce, <clears throat> we're going we're to get to our last topic. We're going to get to our last topic. Are the Nets fools go? Are the Nets fools go? <laughs> they were always fools go. <laughs> Um, the, the, the thing that's glaring is 
okay, now that we're in the season, you're really you're stuck. I uh, So you're looking at the James Harden coming to bench, and unfortunately, that's the James Harden looks extremely disengaged. Even though he's still putting up like some okay stats, the scoring's not there. He's still, you know, stuffing the stat sheet. But I mean, it's not translating to any meaningful wins. And we're already seeing have to carry the team in the way that uh, playoff situation from last year. So my worry at this point is much more where and tear can sustain this year before he starts really taking time injury. Because then the Nets are going to in my eyes completely. Uh, so they better hope Durant this heavy minutes load he's having to put out. But all their wins are crash teams. So, um, they just don't have enough depth in the team to uh, take on these better teams in a meaningful way. Um, people talk before this season that they're probably still going to be really good even without Kyrie. And uh, we're just not seeing that. Um, uh, they have a bunch of guys who have a lot of talent, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. But there's this other situation which things that get in the way of sometimes. Now, we know Durant just wants to go out and be the best he can be. Um, but that's just not going to be enough, especially not in the East this year. So they might ha- they might keep a record throughout the year. We'll, we'll see how much it did after they really have to balance their schedule out and play more of the tougher teams. Um, but as a meaningful championship team, a deep playoff team, I don't believe in it at all. And... Um, We've talked about that most of the season. How we don't really believe them as a championship team, for sure. And now we're starting to really see the glaring issues and the Harden not looking as engaged or having a problem scoring in his traditional manner of scoring from the goal change or the ball change, like whatever it is. It's translating into Brooklyn looking very thin, very thin. And like I said, I'm worried about Durant's. Uh, minutes load and what he's having to do this season and hopefully he can stay healthy that's not even being a Durant or Brooklyn fan you know I just want to see guys play ball but at this rate I don't know how long Brooklyn can even keep this up and it's not even like they're great now so I, I if I'm a Brooklyn fan I'm extremely worried. Mike your, your your son steamrolled them last night um how you feel about the Nets how you feel about the Nets I've I've said that they're fool's gold to begin with as well. Um, now, it's kind of funny. We're sitting here talking about two of the most talented teams in the NBA, in the Lakers and the Nets, and both of them playoff and championship contenders. Both of them not looking too well right now. Right. Which is, I, which is, which is crazy to me. You have so much talent. Great, like good teams that are built, but – it's like, what, what's happening? What What is this? <laughs> what is this? Role players for other teams are stepping up, which is very awesome. It, it, it adds a dynamic to the game that we haven't seen in a while. So I think this is, and let me use the word parody. Parody is everywhere in this NBA. I love this NBA, by the way. Um, as far as the Nets directly, though, um, you can't use the Kyrie vaccination thing as a problem anymore. He hasn't been there all season. And you guys are still doing this. Um, one question that I would actually pose to either of you guys is, well, first, can we agree that probably 
Kevin Durant is probably the most gifted scorer that we've ever seen. Can we agree on that? Close. 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 So I, I, my I still problem, think he's weak. He's weak in the post, but. But he, he still has he still has a, a turnaround jumper that he can hit and he yeah. made and he he's he's got length he's got finesse he's got everything to drop points every single night but how often do we ever see him drop fifty or sixty right no. right right he'll stop at forty you know and I was, it was funny that we're talking about this because I had this conversation with my barber yesterday in the barber shop and. <clears throat> Because we were talking about, you know, scores, rankings, and he's a huge Kobe fan. And I, I don't know if I'll be setting this up for anything later on down the line, but we were talking about Kobe, and Kobe's on my all-time. He's number nine. But I have reasons for that. But either way, he was like, no, we got into the topic of Kevin Durant, and he is an absolute animal in the scoring department. You can put points up at any given time. And with the team that he has, going from the Warriors and going to the Nets with the Stars on there, granted, two different type of games. The Warriors spread the floor like no other. And that gave him the opportunity to take his, his scoring side to a whole other level. You've got James Harden over here. You've got Blake Griffin. You've got LaMarcus Aldridge who came back. You've got stars on your team that can score as well. Should be able to spread the floor. But you're not doing anything that's actually working well. I think that there's too much. This is one of those situations where you've got too much stardom on one team that really, you you know, it's, it's good Kyrie's not there. It could be worse, if you ask me. I think that taking him out gives them even a better chance at this point. So do you think they, they need, need to, to make a move? Out. Do, do you think they make a move, on Steve, make a move on Steve Nash? Um. I think they should. I think they should. I think that there's certain players that would be good as as coaches, and I think he would be good as a coach, but not as a head coach. Let him be part of the staff as some form of a shooting coach or, or a position coach for point guards, something like that. Don't not, not a head coach. No, he's not ready to make those decisions yet. Bryce, last question. Bryce, I'm going to throw it question. your way. With me and Michael thinking that Steve Nash, Nash should be replaced, I know this is not going to happen. But what do you think a coach like Greg Popovich, Popovich, Popovich could do with the Nets? You there, Bryce? You there, Bryce? Uh oh, might have lost Bryce. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, there you go. I lost connection. Um, the problem is uh, a guy like Popovich. Would never end up on the Nets because players have too much power and they don't want that kind of influence. That's why they have a guy like Steve Nash, a new coach. It's like he's not going to come in with the kind of how even Steve Nash to really be able to put his foot down and say, This is what we need to do. And that stems from the culture that was created by letting Kyrie and Brent basically demand everything they could want. Um, so I, I think at the fundamental level, uh, the team has a problem right now. Um, it's, it's like they have no real power. It's like almost like Vogel uh, in L.A. like hard to coach for LeBron James because he's going to command most of the power when he's out there. Um, I don't think Steve Nash was the best fit anyway to begin with. 
you know, it's like why bring in a new coach with this kind of talent when you have championship expectations? It just seems like uh, an odd choice for me. But it all, like I said, it makes sense when you think that those players don't want the type of coach that's going to demand or tell them what to do. And that stems, like I said, from the entire organization top down. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a different coach could come in and maybe turn this thing around, you know, a, uh, a Doc Rivers or a, an experience. Like you said, that'll never really happen, I don't think, not with this team. Uh, but I think that's definitely one thing that they need because they ha- it's just they have no direction. And in terms of uh, what we were talking about just earlier um, with Durant, you know, yeah, he, he could – drop 50 60 he could do whatever he, he's like this extremely talented scorer would think but it seems like he he, he will only take you so far even with that scoring it's like we, we don't see the kind of performances kind of like what you would remember with dirt like dirt had a way of just affecting the game on the offensive end but he was able to beat one of the greatest miami heat teams of all time and win a championship really? that way really bryce you just gotta jab me right okay all right okay. But I'm, what I'm saying is they had the same kind of size and, uh, like, uh, attributes. Like, Durant and Dirt, like, they, he, he could play that way. But he still doesn't command a game the same way um, with all that talent. So it, it's just, it, it's, it's an odd situation for Brooklyn. Steve Nash, in my eyes, was never the right fit. But the culture has to change in Brooklyn. And I, I don't see that happening until maybe – uh, Kyrie and Harden, or Kyrie and Durant. Some, two of those three, I think, are going to be gone. They they got to clean house to change the culture. Otherwise, I think they're going to see this Durant, Kyrie power situation, and uh, it's hard to coach with that. I, I don't think any respectable coach that's wanting to control the team in the way that they want to control the team, you, you know, like a Pop, like a Doc Rivers, like anybody with a reputation. I don't think they want any part of it because they already know the they already know the thing when they get there. They know how it's going to be. So I don't think I don't see it happening. Yeah, Mike. Real quick, a lot of the things Bryce is referencing. I'm not sure if you read our homies Matt Sullivan's book about the Nets. Um, he really tore down the wall with the Brooklyn Nets and really chronicled how they came together basically to be a boys club and not necessarily to win a championship. And it was a fantastic read. Um, so, yeah, they came together for the wrong reasons, and now the chickens are coming to roost at this point. So, I'm going to have to read that because I agree I agree with all those points. I think it's, it's a cool team to see, but I don't think they're going to do anything. Yeah, I'll send you the link yeah, to, to Matt Sullivan talking about the book because it, it was great. So we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up this week. Michael, thank you so much for finally joining. <laughs> we will do this again. Thank you. It was great. We're going to have to have you on again, man, whenever you want. Yeah, I'm I'm always – I'm appreciative for you guys letting me be on the platform. I'm glad we, you know, I finally got to be on here with you guys. And, you know, whenever you guys want me, I will make time. And my Skype is working 100% now, so it wouldn't be – it would be on time. <laughs> hey, look, the next time I'll make sure I have Red Bull and some coffee because I have Kevin on and see you guys joust. That'll be fun. Oh, Kevin. I love Kevin. Shout out to Kevin, too. <laughs> this guy he, likes to bust, he likes Kevin. to bust my balls. 
Kevin likes to bust everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we, we love we love our brothers at the Balls in Our Court podcast. That's going to be it, ladies and gentlemen, for this week's episode of the Hardwood Nations podcast. Please like, subscribe, share our content. Follow us on social media at Hardwood Nation. Bryce Ward, what is your Twitter handle? Always forget it. At BDW1789. Michael, shoot, shoot him your Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is at McCartney0726. Um, if you guys want me on IG, it's Michael Franz0726. Uh, those are the only two platforms that I'm on. So I'm not on Facebook. All right. Thank you, right. fellas. That's going to be it. That's going to be it. Thank you.